the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Season Watch with Wendy Scott, where we observe the things coming on the earth through biblical binoculars, because the Bible is both timely and timeless. With her master's degree in rhetoric and writing skills, Wendy is a part-time college professor, but a full-time truth professor. She believes the Word of God is His perfect revelation, including a young earth six-day creation, as well as the global flood inundation, and that Israel is God's chosen nation. Faith alone in Jesus is salvation, the true church rapture comes pre-tribulation, followed by Christ's millennial domination and His eternal kingdom with Earth's regeneration. Jesus is coming without hesitation. And now, here's Wendy with today's topic. Hello, friends. Thank you for joining me again with Season Watch, and we'll start with prayer. And uh, Lord, I just continue to pray for Israel and the distress that they're under. I pray that you guide them and uh, protect them. I, I'd love to hear some uh, miracles coming out of the IDF uh, protecting them and uh, just help them, Lord. Um, there's the world's kind of against them, and we are seeing anti-Semitism uh, just blatant around the world. And so we just pray for your people. They come to know you, come to Yeshua, and uh, come to faith in your Messiah. And so we also pray, use us and comfort us and uh, bring us on your path as long as we we just want to walk with you in Jesus' name. Amen. And so, uh, friends, uh, we're just going to take a look today at Yeshua, Jesus, our Messiah. We're going to return to our discussion on him. And um, we know that Israel, just like the rest of us, has to go through the process of deciding whether they believe in Yeshua. Um, most of the world doesn't, actually. And we're seeing even this uh, this time is really shaking the churches and the people. There's falling away, just as the Bible prophesied. And so um, just like the rest of us, Israel has to go through the process. Jews around the world have to decide for themselves what they believe about Jesus. We haven't made it easy for them. We've made it very hard on them. And of course, the Catholic Church or the church throughout ages has um, been quite the challenge to their faith in our Messiah. They hardly even realize that he's the Jewish Messiah. And so, um, Lord, we just ask you to help us reveal that to them in love. And so, um, so we've been talking about the Good Shepherd who came to seek and save the lost. And so, friend, I just ask you today, if you're feeling lost, let the Good Shepherd come and find you because he loves you and he came for you. He leaves the 99 to search for you. And uh, you can rely on that. You could trust on that and give him a chance to fill your life. And so we also discussed how Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah who will take dominion of the kingdoms of the earth when he returns to set up his millennial kingdom and thereafter. And he'll judge the world and the wicked of this world. And so one of these special promises about our great Messiah is found early in the Bible in Genesis 49. And we see that uh, Judah is a lion's whelp, beginning in verse 9. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He bows down. He lies down as a lion. And as a lion, who shall rouse him up? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh comes. 
and to him shall be the gathering of the people. And of course, Shiloh is another term for Messiah until he comes. And so we see that Jesus is the Lion of the tribe of Judah, and we read that um, in Revelation a couple of shows ago. And so the passages of the Bible paint a vivid portrait of our Messiah, our Savior, the kinsman redeemer, and the Holy One sent from God who will rule and reign in righteousness. And those of us who love God want to know him, and so we continue in our study of Yeshua, Jesus, our Savior. And so, friends, fasten your truth belts as today we discuss the line of the tribe of Judah, Yeshua, El Gibor, Mighty God, and Hero Savior. It's such an interesting title for him. The Bible describes the rule and reign of the Messiah throughout the Old and the New Testaments, and this is the hope of every Jewish person who loves God, that one day their Messiah will reign over Israel in righteousness and put down those, her enemies. And they rely on verses such as Isaiah 11, uh, beginning in verse 1, And there shall come forth out a, a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of its roots, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. and shall make him a quick understanding in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge after his eyes or the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears, but with righteousness shall he judge the poor and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked And in that day there shall be a root of Jesse, which shall stand as a sign of the people. It shall be uh, he that the Gentiles shall seek, and his rest shall be glorious. So that's a promise for all of us, our hope, and our good Messiah who will come and rule in righteousness and keep us safe and bring us into his glorious kingdom. And we see this promise also in Ezekiel, beginning in uh, chapter 37, verse 24. And David, my servant, shall be king over them, and they shall have one shepherd, and they shall also walk in my judgments and observe my statutes and do them. And they shall dwell in the land that I have given them. This is to Israel. Unto Jacob, my servant, wherein your fathers have dwelt, and they shall dwell therein, and they and their children, and their children's children forever. And my servant David shall be their prince forever. That's symbolic for for Jesus, for the Messiah. Verse 26, moreover, I will make a covenant of peace with them. It shall be an everlasting covenant with them. This is to Israel. And I will place them and multiply them, and I will set my sanctuary in the midst of them forevermore. My tabernacle also shall be with them. Yea, I will... Be their God, and they shall be my people. And the heathen shall know that I, the Lord, do sanctify Israel when my sanctuary shall be in the midst of them forever. So when Jesus sets up his millennial kingdom, it's going to be in Jerusalem, in Israel, over the 12 tribes of Israel. And that's God's promise for them because they've been through great hardships. And he, um, as we're going to see, he allowed them to be in unbelief for a time. Um, but he will restore them because his promises are forever. And this is his promise to them. And there's many more descriptions of the Messiah coming to put down Israel's enemies and ruling the whole world in righteousness. As Christians, we understand that to be Jesus's second coming. But his first coming was to redeem the world from death and sin. And as Christians, we don't always even appreciate the wisdom and beauty of God's amazing plan. In fact, It is so counterintuitive to human expectations concerning the majesty of God that it's a stumbling block for Jews to this day 
just as Isaiah prophesied. And we see this in Isaiah 28, starting in verse 16. Therefore, says the Lord God, behold, I lay in Zion a stone for a foundation, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. Whosoever believes will not act hastily. And he shall be for a sanctuary, but for a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense to both the houses of Israel, for a gin and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And then we see in Psalm 118, starting in verse 22, God talks about the same stone. And it says, The stone which the builders refused has become the head of the corner. This is the Lord's doing, and it's marvelous in our eyes. And in fact, Jesus quoted this verse to warn the Pharisees that he was, in fact, that stone. And we see this in Matthew 21, starting in verse 42. Jesus said to them, Did you never read in the scriptures the stone which the builders rejected? The same has become the head of the corner. This is the Lord's doing, and this is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I say to you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation, bringing forth fruits thereof. And whosoever shall fall on this stone shall be broken, but on whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. And that's what it takes if we fall on Jesus, at the feet of Jesus. It breaks us, right? We have pride, and it breaks us, and it causes humility. But it's better to allow our hearts and our pride to be broken in humility and accept him as Savior than to have him return and judge us for our wickedness and rejection of him. And so to this day, Jews do stumble over the Messiah who came and died. And it doesn't fit their understanding what the Messiah will accomplish. And as they cannot reconcile the two roles of the Messiah, they reject Yeshua, their real Messiah, as a shameful failure, perhaps even a good but dead prophet, and see no hope in him because he seems to have no power to help them. That's part of the problem. That's part of the offense. They were desperate for help, and they are desperate to this day for someone to help them. And frankly, we can't hold ourselves as more faithful than they because we also fail to believe so many promises or prophecies in the Bible because maybe they clash with our perceptions or expectations or our idea of how things should be. We reject a lot of what God promises, and so we're no better than they are. Um, And then sometimes we just think they're too fantastic, especially the prophecies. And we must remember that just as Paul explained in Romans 11, starting in verse 25, He says, For I would not, brethren, that you would be ignorant of this mystery, lest you be wise in your own conceits, that blindness is come in part, has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles have come in. And so all Israel shall be saved, as it is written, There shall come out of Zion the Deliverer, and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant to them, when I shall take away their sins. As concerning the gospel, they... The Jews are enemies for your sake, but is touching the election, their beloved, for the Father's sake. For the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. And so we who love God recognize that their blindness was for our benefit, just as Paul explains, to give us an opportunity. It's not to be exclusively to Israel, because it's Israel's um, foundation. The whole Old Testament was to Israel. All the laws, all the prophecies, all the promises were to Israel. And the promised Messiah was through Israel. And it would have been tempting to go, well, that's theirs, right? Just like we look at Buddhists today and we go, well, that's an Eastern religion. Or we look at Hinduism and we go, well, that's an Indian 
uh, religion. And sometimes we think of things as regionally and not for us, but God says, this is for the whole world. I'm just bringing it through them. And by allowing them to be blind, it, it brought it to the whole world. And so the times of the Gentiles will end, and Israel will be the focus of God's redeeming grace again. And many Jews will come to faith as they are in this day. And God is using the the crises at hand and the hatred faced by Israel. And all Jews right now are are considering these things and being drawn back to him and hopefully to reveal his son to them. So we must keep praying for them. Many, many are coming to faith in Yeshua, even as we speak, and that's to the glory of the Father. And they're they're joining us. We'll be fellow heirs, right? He says there's no Jew and no Gentile, right? That's what Paul says, that we're all in one. And today we're going to focus on this unique duality concerning the Messiah's identity and his purpose and his very nature, because the prophecies describe a Savior who would first suffer and die in our place and then return in triumph to rescue his people and rule the world. And so I talk with many Jewish people when they let me get that far because they're, they've been kind of taught not to listen to us, and there's good reason, I guess. Um, and one conversation particularly comes to mind from a visit I had in Israel a few years back. And it was an Israeli man uh, who lived in Judea, Samaria. He was in a, a ter- town called Ariel there. And he only spoke Hebrew. So his wife actually interpreted our conversation as we spoke. And he told me that Jews respect Jesus and we believe that he was a great man, but we do not believe that he was the Messiah. And so I asked him, why not? And he said, well, the Messiah will come in victory and will be received like a hero. He will put down Israel's enemies and rule on the throne of David, not suffer and die a shameful death. And he was an officer in the military, and he'd seen many battles in his day. And so I asked him, in the IDF, what makes someone a hero, since he had brought it up? And he thought for a minute, and he said, well, if he risks his life to save others or gives his life to others. And I said, well, how can the Messiah that you're expecting come in victory as a great hero if he never did such a thing? Jesus, Yeshua, actually laid down his life to save his people from death and from sin. And he conquered death and rose to life again. And that's what Hosea means when Hosea said in, in uh, chapter 13, 14, Jesus, uh, the Lord said, I will ransom them from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. O death, I will be your plagues. O grave, I will be your destruction. And so the Messiah will first give his life like a hero to conquer death for his people. And then when he returns, he's a conquering hero. And we see this in Isaiah 9-6, and I quoted this to him. Isaiah 9-6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform it. And I showed him this nature with the Messiah. I mean, he's he's called El Gibor. That's what mighty God means. And El Gibor in Hebrew is also the term for hero today. So the man said that a hero, Gibor, 
lays down his life for others. And that's exactly how God describes the Messiah. But instead of just hero, he's a hero God. And we see this duality of his nature. He's not just God, but he's eternal. He's an eternal God. He has an eternal throne, and he's a hero. And that's what makes him a hero, to risk himself. So the Messiah is actually the God who becomes our hero for us. And it's right there in Hebrew, in Isaiah 9, 6, one of our favorite passages. And so just as a hero must lay down his life for others, the Messiah has these two roles to suffer as the hog or the Passover lamb to be the kinsman redeemer of the whole world. And then he has become the conquering hero who gave himself for us and has earned the right to reign over the whole world. And so when I finished showing him these things, the man was very thoughtful. And I believe God was speaking to his heart. I pray that a seed was planted and he continued to consider these things. But even for us as Christians, we miss the amazing complexity of our Savior's dual identity and role. Jesus himself explained it to the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. You remember these two? Who were sad because Jesus had died in his crucifixion, and they didn't realize that it was actually Jesus that was talking to them and walking with them. And in their sadness, he revealed this truth, and we see this in Luke 24, Beginning in verse 25, he said to them, Oh, fools and slow of heart. I think he meant that in a, in a loving way. And slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded on them and all the scriptures and things concerning himself. Wouldn't you love to be in on that Bible study? I certainly would. I think I'm going to someday. I'm going to go, Jesus, can you go over that again? I'm sure a whole bunch of us would show up for that. But the Jews have been under the tremendous persecution their whole history, and they put their hope in the promised Messiah as their political Savior, their promised son of David to be the king sitting on his throne and putting down the enemies of Israel so that they can live in peace. That's what they're looking for. And so they overlooked and misunderstood all the prophecies that the Messiah would first come as a suffering servant to lay down his life. That's not who they needed. They needed someone to save them politically, save them then from their enemies. And so we we have this blindness at times. We, We want what we want, and we don't want to go through God's processes. And so we see uh, these promises— of the suffering servant in so many verses. Look at Psalm 22, when, in fact, Jesus quoted from the psalm to draw attention to this moment when he was on the cross. Psalm 22, beginning in verse 1, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? Verse 11, Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there's none to help. This is what Jesus was referring to. Many bulls have compassed me about. Strong bulls of Bashan have beset around me. They gape upon me with their mouths as ravening and roaring lions. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It's melted in the midst of my bowels. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue cleaves to my jaws. And you brought me to the dust of death. Isn't that an amazing prophecy? And it's a description. He says, you pierced my hands and my feet. I can tell all my bones. And so it's a description of the, of the crucifixion before crucifixion existed. And it shows that he's at the point of death dying. And Jesus quoted this to draw attention to this moment. 
We also see in Psalm 118 this idea of a suffering servant, 118 beginning in verse 14, and it's going to give himself for us. And it's the whole complexity of who the Messiah is. And so 118, Psalm 118 beginning in verse 14, it says, The Lord is my strength and my song and has become my salvation. We talked about this before. That Hebrew word, become my salvation, literally means has become Yeshua for me. Isn't that fun? Verse 16, the right hand of the Lord is exalted. That's the Messiah. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. See, he's a hero. He's a hero. I shall not die but live and declare the works of the Lord. Verse 20, this is the gate of the Lord into which the righteous shall enter. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Psalm 118.20 says, through the Messiah is the gate through which the righteous shall enter. Isn't that beautiful? Verse 22, the stone which the builders refused has become the head of the cornerstone. Remember, Jesus quoted that. This is the Lord's doing. It's marvelous in our eyes. Save now, Hosanna, save now. I beseech you, O Lord, O Lord, I beseech you, send now prosperity. Verse 26, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you out of the house of the Lord. That's the Messiah. And then we see in verse 27, God is the Lord, which has shown us light. Bind the sacrifice with cords, even to the horns of the altar. Thou art my God, and I will praise you. Thou art my God, I will exalt you. So we see right here in this moment, bind the sacrifice with cords. By the way, if the sacrifice is dead, you don't have to bind them. Bind them with cords to the horns of the altar. And the word sacrifice here is hog, which is not used very often for sacrifice. The other time it's used is when it's referring to the Passover lamb, when God delivered the, the ordinances for the Passover lamb and then continued to point to the Messiah as being the Passover lamb, which takes away the sins of the world. See, right here in 118, that the gate through which the righteous will pass is through the sacrifice and then they calls the sacrifice, you are my God, and I praise you. And so we see this beautiful description of who the Messiah is and what he will do. Psalm 89 shows that he will be rejected by his people. And, of course, we've all rejected him, uh, but he did come through the Jews. And we see Psalm 89, verse 3, I have made a covenant with my chosen That's his chosen people. I have sworn unto David my servant. I'm sorry, his Messiah. I've sworn to David, my servant, your seed will I establish forever and build up your house to all generations. Verse 20, I have found David, my servant, with my holy oil, I have anointed him. So the word anointed means is Mashiach. Uh, So that's what anointed means in Hebrew or is in Hebrew. Verse 27, also I will make him my firstborn higher than the kings of the earth. So there's the right of the firstborn given to the Messiah. His seed will I make to endure forever and his throne as the days of heaven. So it's an eternal Messiah. Who, what, what human can be eternal? Verse 38, but you have cast off and abhorred. You have been wroth with your anointed, with your Messiah. Now he's talking to the people he promised the Messiah to. You have made void the covenant of your servant. You have profaned his crown and cast it to the ground. All they that pass by spoil him. He is a reproach to his neighbors. You have also turned the edge of his sword and have not made him to stand in the day of battle. You have made his glory to cease and cast his throne down to the ground. 
verse 45, the days of his youth you have shortened. You have covered him with shame. Verse 48, what man is he that lives and shall not see death? Shall he deliver his soul from the hand of the grave? Verse 50, remember, Lord, the reproach of my servants, how I do bear in my bosom the reproach of all the people wherewith your enemies have reproached, O Lord, wherewith they have reproached the footsteps of your anointed one. And so we hear the complexity of the promise of the Messiah, but that the people will, um, will reject him and that he will suffer and die, right? He's cut off in the midst of his youth. And, uh, and so we see that's what happened, but that was a prophecy, prophecy, and that's what uh, was needed to do. And we don't, we, we're glad that he gave himself, and this is the process. And we see that he is also the suffering servant in Isaiah 50 and 52 and 53. These, these cannot be surpassed. Isaiah 50, the Lord's opened my ear, and I was not rebellious, neither turned my back. I gave my back to the smiters and my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting. Um, Verse 7, for the Lord God will help me. Therefore, I shall not be confounded. Therefore, I've set my face like flint, and I know I shall not be ashamed. And then we look at the famous verses in Isaiah 50 through, surely he's borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray and have turned every one his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And that's why God gave him a portion with the great, because he poured out his soul unto death. And so this is our Messiah. He will return in victory. He is both the suffering servant and the mighty hero, mighty God. And so next time we're going to continue talking about these things. And until then, God bless you all. Join Wendy Scott every Saturday at 3 p.m. on K-Praise for another episode of Season Watch. Previous episodes can be found through the K-Praise podcast platform, where you can also access Wendy's other platforms and contact links. Please email Wendy with show comments, questions, or suggestions at wscott at mywordsforhim.com or visit her website at mywordsforhim.com for additional resources. Watch other teachings on her Rumble channel. Wendy's Words for Him, her fiction novel, The Lost, A Story of Christmas, can be found on Amazon. Until next week, watch, therefore, and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.